Hi, it's Miriam. And welcome to Notorious Women Podcast. A comedy podcast. A comedy podcast about some of history's most most notorious women. women. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to kill you, but I see you. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Welcome, listeners. I know, I know. Welcome, uh, listeners, to another episode. Hi. I hope you guys are surviving, hanging in there. I hope hanging the there, robot y'all. hasn't gotten you. Yeah, mm. and if it has, I hope this episode can soothe you guys. Because uh, I have a fun one this week, so. Oh, cool. Um, I got a kind of yeah. situation. Yeah, because, you know, I figured, you know, I was going to get real deep. And I was like, no, you know, let's just do something oh, girl. fun. I'll tell you right you know, now, until there's a vaccine, I ain't going to get deep. <laughs> I don't exactly. I know. I just want to watch stupid movies. Oh, my God. I've been watching um, Austin Powers movies. They're so stupid. Oh, perfect. That's awesome. It's exactly what I need. It's um, hard to, like, watch people touch each other on TV. I'm like, are you sure? I know. It is. <laughs> For real. It's so true. Mm. You just like hugging willy nilly. You don't even know this person. I mean, do you really know this person? Oh my God, it is so true. <laughs> it is so true. Well, we will get started. So I think I'm first this week. Um, sure, I like so, that. <laughs> um, my notorious woman this week is Lucille Ball. <gasps> I love Lucy. <laughs> Lucy, because I love her terrible accent. Lucy, I'm home. No, Dad, you and I should never do that accent again. No, we should never do that. That's um, terrible. But uh, I mean, he's an American hero. He's an American icon. Desi Arnaz, you rest in peace. Yes, he is. Um. Uh. So, so Lucille Ball uh was born Lucille Desiree Ball. I didn't realize that was her real name, which is so cool. That's beautiful. I know. Um, She was uh, born Lucille Desiree Ball on August 6, 1911, in Jamestown, New York, to Henry Henry Durrell Ball, a lineman for the Bell Telephone Company, and Desiree D.D. Evelyn Ball. Okay. These names. Okay. I know. So now she later in life she would sometimes claim that she had been born in Butte, Butte, Montana, where her grandparents had lived. Uh, and a number of magazines reported inaccurately that she had decided uh, that, that that basically she said Montana seemed more of a romantic place to be born than New York. <laughs> so, uh-huh. And it's, that's how was like really really famous people like especially born in this era, like people who came up through the studio system in Hollywood. Yeah. You never know what is fact and what is, you know, studio they definitely, department. They made up lots yeah. of lovely backstories. Yeah. Now, the, the thing fact. is, where where the Montana thing probably came is that her grandparents lived there, but her father moved around a lot. He, Like I said, he worked for the Bell Telephone Company, which was a great job back then, actually. Um, but yes, he moved around was. a lot. They transferred him a lot. So, uh, but in February of 1915, uh, she was three years old. 
her father died of typhoid fever, unfortunately. And he, her father, was just 27 years old. Oh, my God. I know. Good thing there's a vaccine, huh? Yeah, exactly. That was a PSA. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Now, also, tragically and sadly, at the time of his death, her mother, Dee Dee, was pregnant with her second child, Frederick. I, I, that's awful. So this poor lady, she probably was that age or a little bit younger, and imagine losing, like, your your husband, and, you know, now you have a baby, and then one on the way. I just can't even imagine, so. Oh, God. Um, yeah. Now, little Lucille recalled little from that day, because she was, like, three, almost four, um, that right. her father died, but she remembered a bird getting trapped in the house. So from that day forward, she suffered from or ornithobia, ornithobia, ornithophobia, ornithophobia. Can you spell it? It's got one more syllable. Then it's O R N I T H O phobia. Ornithophobia. Ornithophobia, right. Sounds good. You guys Google which, it. Okay. <laughs> which I will tell you briefly is an abnormal and irrational fear of birds. Fair. Which would be terrifying. Sounds like a rational fear everywhere. of birds. Yeah, right? Yeah, but it's like, because most people are like, why are you afraid of birds? Birds are like harmless and like, I mean, unless you watch that movie. I guess it becomes so, yeah. irrational when you're 20. Yeah. yeah. But when you're a little yeah, girl, it makes sense. Uh, right. But it was probably tied to that, obviously. Now, after her father's death, her mother, Dee Dee, returned to New York to raise uh, Lucille and her brother, uh, along with her her parents. So Dee Dee went back to stay with her parents, Lucille's uh, maternal grandparents. And, I get that. Uh, That's so right. Yeah. In um, upstate New York, a summer resort village on Lake uh, Chattaqua. Uh, it's Chattaqua, right? That's where the that sounds infamous, right. Yeah, that's where the uh, infamous uh, accident happened with one of the Kennedys. So anyway, oh um, yeah, very beautiful. Yeah, it uh, it's about two mi- two point five miles west of downtown Jamestown, so nearby where she was born. But now growing up there, um, Lucille loved this area because it had one of the best amusement parks in the United States at the time. So it oh, had really? boardwalks, it had ramps to lakes that served as children's slides, the pier ballroom, a roller coaster, a bandstand, and a stage where vaudeville concerts and regular theatrical shows were presented. Ooh. So it was home to like a really popular resort, which is exciting. That was so much girl, fun. You know? Yes. Yeah, I know. Now, uh, things went pretty good there for a while, you know. She's probably, what, four, five, six growing up around that. That's very exciting. But four years later, her mother married uh, a man named Edward Peterson. Because, you know, her mother's still young and beautiful, right. I'm sure. And, you know, back then, you know, you got to find a husband. So, yeah. mm-hmm. um, so her mother and her stepfather look for work in another city. So, you know, they, they're obviously working class, middle class people. Um, so instead of staying with her, her mother's parents, she actually went to stay with her new stepfather's parents. 
Oh, that's I don't know why that is, but maybe it's because they were closer or, you know, it could have been logistics, you know, because parents have to do, you know, what's easier for them sometimes. And they're still pretty young, right. obviously. Um, now, Peterson's, her stepfather's parents, were puritanical Swedish a couple, a puritanical Swedish couple who Ooh. banished all mirrors from the house except over the bathroom oh sink. Damn. Okay. So imagine okay. going from like this, like amusement park, Happy. like fun, to like these very strict people. It probably smells funny to her because you know kids yep. are always like, it right? smells funny in here. How, how old is she at this point? So if it had so about seven or eight. Okay. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, um, so she, so once she was even caught by the grandmother admiring herself because she's a little kid and that's what kids do. They stare at themselves. My children do that all day. They're just, they do all the time. Can I go look at myself in this outfit? She was going to rock out. Yeah, you're just like, oh. So she was severely chastised. God, I can't talk. I'm so sorry, guys. Long day. Um, Talking is pre-COVID-19. That's fine. I know. She was chastised for being vain, um, oh, and she said Lord. that living in this house uh, deeply affected her for the rest of her life. Now, yeah. um, her her stepfather was a Shriner, uh, those guys with the funny hat. Okay. Um, yep, yep. And um, so when she was about 12, his organization needed, a fem- needed female entertainers for a chorus line of their next show, so he encouraged her to audition. While she was on stage, okay, so she's she living with his. Wait, she's living with his parents' so, house. I think his like, parents came back. So when she was twelve, it's probably them going to find work, then coming back, but then settling in. Okay, you know, gotcha. it's that hazy period. Um, if you don't have stability in your home life between like eight and twelve, it's like that early kind of. It's like that tween yeah. years, you know, where you go up from being a little girl to like. Mm-hmm. Kind of a big person, kind of, you know. Um, yeah. So she, so he encouraged her to audition, and she did. And she realized performing was a great way to gain praise and recognition. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we all? <laughs> so all of a sudden she's like, "Oh, I found my people. I mm-hmm. found my mm-hmm. calling." Yes. Yep. <laughs> now. Fast forward to 1927. So she is 16. Yeah. Okay. Her family unfortunately suffered a misfortune. Their house and furnishings were lost to settle a financial legal judgment after a neighborhood boy was accidentally shot and paralyzed <gasps> by someone target shooting in their yard under the supervision of her grandfather. Oh. That's. Sucks. Which is such a bizarre thing, like. No, I've heard of that wow. though. Because if it's like it's like a property situation, mm-hmm. it's on your property. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this. Or if like someone robs you, they can then sue you if they hurt themselves on your property. And this is because I think I don't that's know what. Uh, yeah, I think now they probably put it in insurance and stuff, you know, or maybe right. they have. Yeah, I don't that's know. Part don't of really insurance. Know. If someone, yeah. like, um, you have to have that in legalese. That's yeah. crazy, though. 
So she's 16. That is very impressionable. And you're also at 16, you're very much aware of what money you do and don't have. That's when you start to become right. aware mm-hmm. of like, oh, we don't have a lot of money or maybe we have more money than other people, a few other people. So, um, so they had to move from a house to a small apartment. Okay. Now, um, when, so two years before now, oh God. <laughs> So two years before 1925, before that tragically happened, she, 14 at the time, started dating a 21-year-old named Johnny Devita. I was the tiniest child. I keep hearing these, like, 14-year-olds who have boyfriends. I was still, like, giggling and turning bright red when I was, like, running the other way. You know, is that age where you're just old enough to get into some trouble that's going to be hard mm-hmm. for you to get out of. And as a girl, mm-hmm. you know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. So this is before birth control. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one source I found said that he was he was called a, a local hoodlum. But who knows? He could have just had a leather jacket. <laughs> who knows? I uh, mean, that's a fact. Yeah. Who knows? My issue is that he's 21 and she's 14. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell yeah, that's no. the problem. Mm-hmm. That's problem. Yeah. I don't give you who. What is a twenty-one-year-old doing looking at a fourteen-year-old? Like, what are you doing? Nope. Walk away. Of course, her mother was mm-hmm. not happy with this. That's and, correct. But she's fourteen, so she's like, "I love him, mom. You can't tell me anything." <laughs> Just so her mother was like, "I'm not happy about this, but it'll, it'll burn out. It, it'll fizzle out because she's 14. Uh, so she thought, oh, it'll, it'll fizzle out in a couple of weeks, but it didn't. So after about a year, the mother tried to separate them by, so she probably was like, he's too old for you, da-da-da, and that just makes him more attractive, of course, right? Yeah. And he's grown, right? He's a man. I feel like, I will murder you. What are you doing? No. Like, I would, but. <sighs> She's probably thinking, really, like, don't call CPS, you guys. I would just be like, I would, well, I would call the police is what I would do. But, well, yeah, nowadays we could totally call it cops on this kid. But, um, yeah. well, he's not really a kid at 21. He, 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 a co- he, he old enough to be a, a college graduate. So, grown ass yeah. man. And what is she, a freshman in college, in, in high school? She's a and he freshman old enough to have graduated from college. Nope. I nope, still had nope. braces and like big, thick glasses when I was, because I was still like, you know, making poor life fashion choices. At this time, maybe that was my experience. You and me but, both sisters. <laughs> um, girl, I was not, no 21-year-old man would have been like, yeah, they'd have been like, okay. <sighs> yeah, and if he does, we know how creepy it. So, no, so yes. Dee Dee's like, how can I get separate these two? So she did the smart thing. She knew Lucille was still interested in show business. So okay. despite the family's meager finances, she arranged for Lucille to attend the John Murray Anderson School for the Dramatic Arts in New York City, where Betty Davis was a fellow student. So cool. So, so Dee Dee's like, I got your number. How about an acting class in New York mm-hmm. City? So imagine yeah, how exciting yeah. that is. You're like, mm, <laughs> ah, later, Johnny. I'm going to New York City mm-hmm. to be an actor. Like, I love um, you, so, but I got to go. <laughs> so a little bit before the tragedy happened in 27, um, in 1926, so the following year, 
she uh, enrolled in the school, and she said of that time, quote, all I learned in drama school was how to be frightened, end quote. Her, instruction, yeah. her instructors felt she would not be successful in the entertainment business and were un- and they told her to her face. Now, what is she, 15, 16? These people ain't got no shame. You do not tell Girl, a 15-year-old. I'm telling you, this they is don't have not uncommon. This is not uncommon in the – I mean, I saw a fair amount of this. And I look yeah. back, and I'm like, what were we, 17? Really? Yeah. You're going to – I mean, I didn't have I, – I was never told, like, don't do this. Uh, but I had a very talented friend who was told that. Um, yeah. And I was, you know, I, I had some, I remember one time I had, there was a sort of a reckoning at the end of this very intense program. It was really just a bunch of, of our, our professors in a round table to tell you about yourself. It was very awkward. I was like 19. And it was really interesting because I had some professors who were like, well, I mean, good luck with that. Dear God, who does she think she is? And others looking at them like, are you crazy? She's very good, depending on how I was that day. And I look back on all of that, and I'm like, you can't judge like that. That's crazy. And Lucille Ball inspires me. So go on. Well, not so. They don't know anything. So um, now. 15. So even though she's. 15 and 16 and getting this kind of harsh criticism, she was determined to prove her teachers wrong. Um, so she, after going home for a brief stint, she went back to New York City in uh, 28. So she's 17. That same year, she began working. So after high school, I'm assuming, uh, she began working for Hattie Carnegie as an in-house model. Now, okay. Carnegie ordered her to dye her, hair, her then brown hair. She's a natural brown hair. Blonde. What? Of this time, if you look at old, like, if you look back at old, like, before she became Lucy, Lucille Ball is so beautiful. I mean, she's beautiful as Lucy, too. You know, she's yeah. sort of like the red hair kind of added to her, the character, uh, you know, uh, aspect of her, of the character. But she's really, like, traditionally beautiful. Um, yeah, like, so I feel she's a model. Her. She's gorgeous. Yeah. So she said of that time, of this time, she said, quote, Hattie taught me how to slouch properly in a $1,000 hand-sewn sequence dress and how to wear a $40,000 sable coat as casually as rabbit, end quote. Wow. That pretty much sums up modeling. Like, you can't afford mm-hmm. half the stuff that you're modeling. <laughs> no. you got to act like, okay. I'll just threw this on because yeah. I was a little chilly. Until you become a supermodel, then you can afford it. But generally, models can't afford half the stuff. They're in those experience. They can't afford that stuff. So now, you know I can't model, time, right? You know, I'd be like, oh, my God, this feels so good. Wow. It does. When you put it on, you're like, okay. Um, yeah, you're just like, wow, this is – so this is what money feels like. Okay. Um, like, oh, that's now, nice. Now, she kept having, like, setbacks in her life, which is so inspiring because, as we know, how successful she became. So around this time, she had another setback when she became ill herself with rheumatic fever, and she was unable to work for two years. At at, at 16? At 17, no, 17 or 18. So your life is just getting started, and you go to New York City, and you're like, oh, I'm a model. I'm like... You know, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going to acting class. And then she got sick and couldn't work for two years. 
Um, wow. But she did recover. And yeah. uh, so in 32, she moved back to New York City again. So this is the third time she's moved back uh, to resume her wow. acting career. And she supported herself um, working as a model and as the, as the Chesterfield cigarette girl. So she got a, a campaign, so, which is Cigars, great money. Yeah, Chesterfield yeah. cigarettes. But she used the name Diane, Diane Belmont. Okay. <laughs> to work chorus line work. Because chorus work was considered a little bit seedier, not necessarily, especially around this time in the 30s, not necessarily legit, yeah. like, acting stuff. So she changed her, she used the name Diane Belmont. Um, but okay. that wasn't, that didn't last because she was hired, then quickly fired by theater impresario Earl Carroll from his Vanities. Um, so he had a show called The Vanities. And by Florence Ziegfeld from a touring company, a Rio Rita. So these are very fancy names. Wow. These are high profile showcases and they both fired her. Who knows why? Because being a chorus girl is a different skill than being like a dramatic actor. It's a very For different sure. skill. And you really have to, I can see that kind of about her because you have to meld in with everybody else. And I have a yeah. solid feeling she wasn't so much doing that. Because, yeah. she, you know, she's someone who has a spark and an energy. Yeah. And she's like, I I was homesick for two years for this shit. Mm-mm. Nope. Uh, yeah. I'm, over. I'm a star. Um, so, or maybe that's what I would say. Uh, <laughs> that's what you would say, Lavetta, for sure. <laughs> so, of course, she was frustrated in New York City. And after an uncredited stint uh, as a, a Goldwyn girl in Roman Sandals, a film from 1933, starring Eddie Cantor and Gloria Stewart, she made the move to Hollywood. So okay. in so in New, in Hollywood, she had a bunch of small roles and a bunch of films. Um, and she actually landed a contract, an RKO, Radio Pictures contract, in the 30s as a contract uh, player. Um, and she was in uh, a two-reel comedy short with the Three Stooges called Three Little Pigskins in 1934. Oh and a Marx Brothers movie, Room Service, in 1938. So, that's not bad pickings, but it's not. Wow. I feel like, yeah. I feel like I need to, like, catch up on some of these old movies while I'm home. I've seen old movies with her in it, and you don't realize it's her at first, because she looks so different. Really? She kind of looks familiar, yeah, because she had blonde hair then. She kind of looks familiar. Uh, there's a very famous, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna get to that in just a second. But you, you, you're like, Penny looks kind of familiar. You're like, oh my god, that's Lucille Ball. Anyway. So, you know, that's pretty good, but again, that's not a star making thing. But at least she got a contract, so she's probably paying her rent, you know, but barely. Um, now, she was also, uh, in one, she was a featured model in the Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers film, Roberta, from 1935. And oh, as okay. a flower girl and top hat, also in 1935, and she had a great supporting role. She, so if you go back, you'll probably catch a glimpse of her. Um, and yeah, I had, had no idea. Supporting, she had a brief supporting role at the beginning of Fellow the Fleet from 1936, another Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers film. Now, Ginger Rogers and her were distant maternal cousins. Um, oh, really? It, it's probably one of those things, like, you're my cousin's cousin, and, you know, you, we all have family members like that. We're like, oh, yeah, okay. 
Um, now, oh but that's so important because they both played aspiring actresses in the film Stage Door from 1937 alongside Katherine Hepburn. I found – it's hard to find this film, but I found clips of it online uh, for my script that's set in 1930. It. It's, it's very – it's really ago. interesting because these are all, like icon- – there's so many iconic women in this film. But, like, it's when they're still young and not iconic and, and not iconic yet. So it's really, really odd. Like, but they're also playing aspiring actresses. Um, That's really, I, ooh, And they're all, like, complaining about not getting acting roles and, like, you know, and, like, Ginger Rogers. Uh, actually, in my, my research for the film, uh, for the script I just did, um, this one was saying that Ginger Rogers stayed at like the women's housing here, uh, the studio club here in, in uh, Hollywood. And she would, she would like go to every audition in sort of like backstage, version of backstage. I don't think it was backstage then, but she would go to every open yes. call. And she would like, this is Ginger Rogers now. She would go to every open call and there was one phone in the hallway and she was always on it. <laughs> like calling, <laughs> trying to find, like she was a hustler. Like, and you can't yeah. imagine because Ginger Rogers is Ginger Rogers, but like Ginger Rogers was like on it. She was like, okay, what I got to do? What I got to do? Okay, okay. We have to do that. Like, so Stage Door, um, if you ever find it, it's an excellent film and it's really odd watching them all like, because they're all in the beginning of their careers pretty much. Right. Um, and you're like, now, you're Ginger Rogers. You're fine. Lucille and you're Catherine Hepburn. Like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, like, what are um, you doing? In, 19, in 1936, she landed the role she had hoped that she hoped would lead to her brought to her to Broadway in the Bartlett Cormac play Hey Diddle Diddle, a comedy set in a duplex uh, apartment in Hollywood. So it's kind of similar to okay. um, Stage Door, actually, but Stage Door is set in um, in uh, New York, actually. Um, now, the play premiered in Princeton, New Jersey in 1937 with uh, Lucille playing the part of Julie Tucker, quote, one of three roommates coping with neurotic directors, confused executives, and grasping stars who interfered with the girls' abilities to get ahead, end quote. Now, the play okay. received really good reviews, but problems existed, chiefly with its star, Conway Turrell, who was in poor health. Um, oh, I've never so, – a woman or a man? Uh, it's a woman. Conway. Um, I've never heard no, of that. No, actually, no. Conway is a guy. Pearl. Yeah, sometimes you, these actors were big in the day, and we – that's why people wanted to get yeah. in films, because if you get in films, your legacy will last. So, then, no, the guy. You and I will talk about them. Okay. Now, the producer wanted to replace him, but the uh, – one of the producers wanted to replace him, but the another producer, Ann Nichols, said that the fault lay with the character and insisted that the part needed to be reshaped and rewritten. So oh. the, the two were even though there were the good reviews, to, yeah, you know mm. egos. So the two yeah. kept butting heads, and they were unable to come up with a solution. So the play was scheduled to open on Broadway at the Vanderbilt Theater, but closed after one week in Washington D.C. Uh. when the lead actor Toral became gravely ill. Nice. So You're that right. was like a near That's miss. We've not. all experienced those. You're like, fuck. Oh, that hurts. So, so she's not a star. She she kept plugging along, and she even auditioned. So she's a full-on actress, but she still hasn't gotten that big break, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's she working. Even auditioned, she even auditioned, like many actresses at the time, for the role of Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind in 1939. Yeah. 
I think um, now, I yeah, think I auditioned for that. I time traveled <laughs> I and auditioned for that. I don't know why. And I auditioned for Hattie. Hattie's I, role. Um, I, we would have been so perfect. No, I would have been, been like, perfect. this whole thing um, is awkward, you guys. I know. And now in 1940. I dress, so stop trying. Okay. <laughs> so 1940. So this is about, she's been out in Hollywood for about seven years. So 1940. Um, she appeared as a female lead in a, a movie musical entitled Too Many Girls. Uh, this is okay. where, where she met and fell in love with Desi Arnaz, who mm-hmm. played one of the four bodyguards in the film. So that's how they met. Now, so she's doing pretty good. She's doing good enough for her contract to keep being renewed. So in right. the 40s, she signed with MGM. But she couldn't okay. get the major role to put her – she couldn't get a major role in the – the movies that they were getting her to get her over the top. So she was actually known in Hollywood circles as, quote, the queen of the bees. So the queen of the bee movies. Yeah, yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, now, would, like me, I wouldn't be mad at that. I know, but, I'd you know, at that totally time, like, could we know? We're just like, you're working, so you're winning. But, you know, you just – Yeah, working, like, like fine. Rogers. <laughs> All the people you were in that movie with are big stars now. Yeah. Like Ginger Rogers, Captain like, Hepburn. Queen yeah. of the Beast, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, now she's like, so like many actresses, she picked up radio work to supplement her income and gain exposure. In 1937, she appeared regularly on the Phil Baker Show. When its run ended in 1938, she joined the cast of The Wonder Show starring Jack Haley. Um, and he's now Jack Haley is best remembered as the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Now it's here is where she really started to blossom. So here is where she developed a fifty-year professional relationship with the show's announcer Gail Gordon. Okay. That particular show, The Wonder Show, lasted one season, with the final season airing on uh, episode airing on. April 7, 1939. Now, MGM producer Arthur Freed purchased the Broadway hit musical play DuBerry Was a Lady uh, in 19, from 1943, especially for Anne Southern, uh, Southern. But when she turned down the part, the role went to Lucille. Okay. Southern, real-life best friend, which I oh, think that's great. That's awesome. So. That's how I in want it. If I turn it down, my best friend should have it. That sounds right. Yeah. Or if my best friend turns it down, I should have it. So in 1946, she starred in Lover Come Back. And in 1947, 1947, she appeared in the murder mystery Lourdes as Sandra Carpenter, a taxi dancer in London. I don't okay. know what a taxi dancer is, but that sounds I hilarious. don't either. I'm, I have like and I gotta find vi- that movie. visual. Yeah, I definitely. And I, I wonder if she has an accent. Probably. Definitely. Hello, Govna. You know, I had to pull that out. Uh, so, hey, um, all right, all right. I'm a taxi dancer in my taxi dancing <laughs> school. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll stop. That's fine. I hear it. I hear you guys. <laughs> so, so, in 1948, she was cast as Liz Cooper, a wacky wife, and my favorite husband, a radio comedy for CBS Radio. The show was successful, and CBS asked her to develop it for television. Now, okay. if you can guess my favorite husband, so she agreed to develop uh-huh. it for television. I do. Okay, go on. But she insisted yeah. on working with her real-life husband, Cuban band leader, 
Desi Arnaz. Here's me so, not surprised. CBS executives were reluctant, thinking the public would not accept an all-American redhead and a Cuban as a couple. CBS was initially, and they were initially unimpressed with the pilot episode produced by the couple's Desilu production company. So they started Desilu, their production company. Okay. The pair went on the road with a vaudeville act in which Lucy played the zany housewife wanting to get into uh, uh, her husband's show. So because the, the, the tour was so successful... Uh-huh. I, CBS eventually relented and put I Love Lucy in the lineup. So they did the pilot. Yes. And the executives at CBS are like, mm, I don't know. So then they're like, like, you know what? Let's, let's take it on the road. Let's see what the audiences say. Yeah. Let's see what the, uh, the audiences think, right? So, because these are show business. I feel like you could do that and back then in a way you can't really do now. But you kind of can, yeah. though. I mean, you, you can, can put it on you YouTube. Can. Yeah, yeah but you put it in, in the 90s. But now you no. can, yeah. So, I Love Lucy finally became the star vehicle that Lucille Ball had been working towards since 1933. So, she's like 15 Yay. years into her career. But she's been, I have to say, she was working pretty regularly, but it was it was finally the star vehicle. It's um, like she wasn't unsuccessful. She just wasn't successful. She didn't come out here and, like, two years later win an Academy Award. Like you see in the movie, right. it didn't happen. She actually had a very typical actress career, but right, a lot that's more actually what it looks so, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, now she also wanted to do the show because you know her marriage to Desi was was hard. The couple had uh, the relationship had become badly strained in part because of the hectic uh, performing schedule, which kept them apart, but mostly due to Desi's philandering. He had an eye. You know, I feel lives. like the you could blame the fact that they're apart working, but you know his penis and other people's vaginas probably <laughs> was the bigger issue overall. This is you know I'm not a psychiatrist, but I'm gonna throw that out there. Just like he threw his. What also? Okay. He, he probably, he was more uh, focused on getting with the other ladies than coming to see his wife while he was on the road. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's energy you could spend on a phone call to your wife or your dick in her vagina. You know, like, you got to make a choice. So, I mean, needless to say, for those of you who don't know, I Love Lucy is an iconic show, and it was a ginormous hit. Um, it also is the first show to introduce the multicam format to yes. television. And they, they single hand, not single handedly, but this show was the one that introduced it to American audiences, um, in a way. And it really revolutionized, um, the way they filmed, uh, especially comedies. So. I Love Lucy is an iconic American institution. It was huge, huge, bigger than anything she could have asked for. Now, I mean, it's a, a long I mean, I might start showing my kids that because it's something that we can all watch that I enjoy as well. Yeah, and it's, it's fun and it's silly. Animation. And it holds up. And it's, it's really silly. broad comedy, but it's funny. Yeah. It's funny. Um, and she, so, but also we, we forget that she created not only a television dynasty, 
Um, but she was the first woman to head a TV production company, Desilu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she headed it. That's she amazing. formed it with Desi, but she was the head of it. Now, um, because I'm, I, you know, you could probably see this coming. And and by the way, they had two children, which I will get to in just a little bit. Uh, but they, um, even after their divorce in 1960, um, she bought out his share of the company and became a very active uh, studio head. Um, they, like I said, they, uh, I Love Lucy pioneered a number of methods in television that's still in use today, such as filming before a live studio audience with a number of cameras, the, the multi-cam format, and distinct sets adjacent to each other. During this time, she taught also a 32-week comedy workshop at the Brandeis Barton Institute, which is, can wow. you imagine Lucille Balls teaching you comedy? Oh my Man, God. I'm just jealous. That's amazing. But she was quoted as saying, quote, you cannot teach someone comedy. Either they have it or they don't. But she can teach you certain techniques. I mean, oh, my God, that's a priceless class. No, there's a level of truth. I've I've worked with people who should maybe, you know, accounting is more their thing. That's fine. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, yeah. (laughs) Now, before the divorce... Um, during the run of I Love Lucy, the couple wanted to remain in Los Angeles, but time zone logistics made that difficult. So since prime time in L.A. was too late at night on the East Coast to air a major network series, filming in California would have meant giving most of the TV audience an inferior uh, kinescope picture at least a day later. So logistic-wise, it's just better. It just it just wasn't going to work. So sponsor Philip Morris, because this is when sponsors really dominated television. Um, they didn't want. I mean, they still kind of do, don't they? They do, but like one a, a place like one company like Philip Morris could dominate one show because usually it's like Philip Morris. Oh, I, I love Lucy. So that's Philip Morris true. is like, nah, that's not gonna work for us. Uh, so, <laughs> but they did also also they didn't want to pay extra costs that the filming, processing, and editing would require. So the company pressured them to relocate to New York City. But the couple offered to take a pay cut to finance the filming on the condition that Desi Lou would retain the rights of each episode once it aired. So this is when they got into. But this was so unusual back then. Um, CBS agreed to relinquish. All they heard, they heard pay cut. You know what I mean? Yeah, pay cut. So they're like, sure. So CBS is like, okay, we'll relinquish the post first broadcast rights to Desi Lou not realizing that they were giving up a valuable and enduring asset. In 1957, CBS bought back the rights for $1 million, which is (laughs) $9.1 million in today's terms, providing Lucille and Desi down payment for the purchase of the former RKO Picture Studios, uh, which they turned into Desilu Studios. So incredible. Ownership, yeah. 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 Ownership. As much as you can. Now, I Love Lucy dominated U.S. ratings for most of its run, um, and um, during the show's production breaks, Lucy and Desi starred together in two feature films, The Long, Long Trailer in 1954 and Forever Darling in 1956. After I Love Lucy them? ended its run, hmm? have you seen those? You no, have I have you not. Seen those I didn't know they did two movies. Me neither. No, I have Me not. Me neither. 
Now, the the show ended in 1957, um, but the, the main cast continued to appear in occasional hour-long specials under the title The Lucy Desi Comedy Hour until 1960. Uh, now, in addition to I Love Lucy, Desi Lou Productions produced several other popular shows, such as The Untouchable, Star Trek, and Mission Impossible. Oh, my God. I did not know that. What? I know, right? I did not know that either. What? That's so great. What? Yeah. That's awesome. The, now, in 1967, the, um, the studio was eventually sold for $17 million, which is $130 million in today's money, and cool. merged with Paramount Pictures. Okay. Now, um, at the height of the show, uh, in 1951, one month, one month before her 40th birthday, she gave birth to their daughter, Lucy Desiree Arnez. And a year later, a year and a half later, she gave birth to their second child, Desiderio Alberto Arnez IV, also known as Desi Arnez Jr. Now, so it's so funny because also one of the first things that they did on the show is that she was actually pregnant on camera. And so oh, they and she was the pregnant with... into the show. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So and this was a very pioneering show in a lot of ways. Now, um, so in 1959, she Lucille became uh, a friend and a mentor to Carol Burnett, a young Carol Burnett. She guested on Burnett's highly successful CBS special, Carol Plus Two, and the younger performer reciprocated by appearing on The Lucy Show. It was rumored that uh, Lucille had offered Carol Burnett a chance to star in her own sitcom, but in truth, Burnett was offered and declined Here's Agnes by CBS executives. She instead chose to create her own variety show due to a stipulation that was an existing contract she had with CBS, which, and that's, I mean, the Carol Burnett show is one of my favorites as well. I was going to say, good call. It was brilliant. Good call, and I love it, and the two remained close until – Lucille's death. So now, that's lovely. Like I said, so Lucy and Desi, the marital bliss eventually ended. So on March 3rd, 1960, a day after Desi's 43rd birthday and one day before the filming of Lucy and Desi's last episode together, she filed papers in Santa Monica uh, Superior Court claiming married life with Desi was, quote, a nightmare, <laughs> end quote, and oh nothing at God. all as appeared on I Love Lucy. I mean, you know. You put in writing. That's how breakups are, yeah. On Damn, the day before they filmed their final, ad- God, can you imagine how awkward that must have been? I think she, she must have been pissed. She must have found mm, some lady panties she or something. And she did. She found that. He was like, I won't. And then he did it one yeah. more time, you know. Yeah. Mm-mm. And so May 4th, so two months later, and two months, so two months later, and two months after filming the fe- final episode of Lucy Desi Comedy Hour, the couple divorced. Now, until his death, however, in 1986, they remained friends and often spoke very fondly of each other. So really? that's something good. Yeah, like it's so funny because in my mind, she's always with him, right? Like Lucy, yeah, Desi, like she's always with him because they built yeah. this thing together, this amazing thing together. Um. But outside of her legacy show and divorce, she kept busy. So she always she was always busy. So she did brought a Broadway musical called Wildcat in 1960, um, okay. and um, which ended because she became ill uh, 
it ended early. So, but then she, you know, got better. And then she uh, was the source of a song she made famous. Uh, but the show was the source of a song she made famous called "Hey, Look Me Over," which she performed with Paula Stewart on the Ed Sullivan Show. The following year, oh. in 1961, she starred in a Broadway musical um, with Keith Andes and Paula Stewart. Uh, it also marks the beginning uh, of a friendship between Lucy and Stewart, who introduced Lucy to her second husband, Gary Morton, a Borscht Belt comic who was 13 years her junior. So the Borscht oh, Belt wow. is Get it, girl. Uh, upstate New York. It's like My you know, people. Jewish comics. And, yeah, so, like, very, very successful. You could make a lot of money and be very, very successful mm-hmm. and have a happy life just doing that gig. Um, and so he was 13 years her junior, and he was also in the business. So, you know. Now, according to Lucille, Morton said he had never, he claimed he had never seen an episode of I Love Lucy due to his hectic schedule. Um, yeah, all right. Okay, um, all right. I don't believe you, but, but okay. She, but the two clicked. I mean, he probably realized she's the boss, and as long as he knows that, then they're fine also because she's older than him. So, but she immediately... Uh, put him to work at her production company, teaching him the television business and eventually promoting him to producer. He played okay. occasional uh, parts on her various TV series. And, you know, it, by all accounts, it was a successful marriage, actually. I love um, Did they have any kids together or no? No, no. Um, so it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Mae West. Like, these guys, if you marry a guy who's in awe of you and is like, and who knows it, he's just like, that's the best relationship mm-hmm. you know yep. like so um I recommend now it. I know so from 64 to 65 she hosted a CBS radio talk show called Let's Talk to Lucy she also made a few more movies including Yours Mine and Ours in 1968 and the musical Maine yeah, from recently, 1974 right? which one Your, yeah Yours Mine and Ours yeah but she also had her version of Maine in 1974 and she had two more uh, long, successful, long-running sitcoms for CBS, The Lucy Show from 62 to 68, which co-starred Vivian Vance and Gail Gordon, and Here's Lucy from 68 to 74, which also featured her husband, as well as her real-life children, Lucy and Desi Jr. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Now, she was originally considered by Frank Sinatra for the role of Mrs. Uh, Iceland in the Cold War thriller, The Manchurian Candidate. But director-producer John Frankenheimer, however, had worked with Angela Lansbury in a mother role in All Fall Down and insisted on having her for the part. And she was excellent. I mean, Angela Lansbury. We love her, too. I mean, Um, yeah, she's amazing. And uh, Lucy was, Lucille was also the lead actress in a number of comedy television specials uh, about uh, there's one called Lucy Calls the President, which featured Vivian Vance, Gail Gordon, and Mary Jane Croft. And Lucy moves to NBC. So she's just like, <laughs> she's just beloved. She's just so great. Yeah. Um, and if that's not enough, if she's not busy enough running a studio and doing all this stuff, she actually became an assistant professor at California State University, Northridge, in 1979. Oh, my God. That's right near us. We could have taken class yeah. with her. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that's we had amazing. just gone back in time. So. This, now, this uh, time travel we need to do, Lavetta. Now, if she, if, if being a professor wasn't keeping her busy and living in her fabulous house from all the money she's made, in the mid-'80s, right. uh, she took another go at a television career. 
and she hosted in 1982 a two-part threes company retrospective showing clips from the show's first five seasons and summarizing the plot lines and commenting on her love of the show. In 1985, she made a dramatic... No, in 1985, she made a dramatic made-for-TV film about an elderly homeless woman um, by the name of Stone Pillow. It received mixed reviews. I guess people don't want to see Lucy being an elderly homeless woman. I wouldn't want to see that. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to see. Yeah, it. I don't know that I would want to either. Yeah. 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 So in 1986, she did a she had a sitcom comeback called Life with Lucy. Uh, which was co-produced uh, by uh, her, Gary Morton, and prolific uh, producer, former actor, Aaron Spelling. Oh, my God. <laughs> which was canceled less than two months into its run by ABC. But in February of okay. 1988, she was named the Hasty Pudding Woman of the Year. And and this is something I didn't realize, and this is what probably explains why she is a gay icon, but she was well-known. She was a well-known gay rights supporter um and in a 1980 interview with people she said quote it's perfectly all right with me some of the most gifted people i've ever met or read about are homosexual how can you knock it end quote <laughs> love her it's funny how like, someone who was how powerful born in, in 1980 those words are you yeah, know what i mean exactly like how can you and knock also, it? now that's kind of like all right but at the time that's huge she was born she was born in 1911, so someone yeah. who had that kind of thing in 1911, yeah. So, um, That's now incredible. In May, it is incredible. In May of 1988, she was hospitalized after suffering a mild heart attack, but she recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually went on the following year to present as a co-host at the Academy Awards along with Bob Hope, and they were given a standing ovation when they came out. Uh, as they should Very both well of them are icons. Yeah. yeah. Now, a month later, however, on April 26, 1989, she passed away at age 77. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, 77 is too young. Now, in accordance with her wishes, she was cremated, and her ashes were initially interred at uh, Forest Lawn, Hollywood Hills Cemetery. But in, okay. 19, in 2002, her children moved her remains to the Hunt family plot, at Lakeview Cemetery in Jamestown, New York, where she was born, and where her parents and grandparents are buried. That's so lovely. Um, Now, many of her friends obviously mourned her loss, of course, in the industry and the world. And Carol Burnett famously recalled that Lucille would send her flowers every year on her birthday. So when she awoke on the day of her 56th birthday, this is Carol Burnett, in 1989, Mm -hmm. She realized she had discovered that Lucille had passed. The news came out. Because she didn't Later that die. day, however, yeah. Flowers arrived at Burnett's house oh. with a note reading, quote, Happy birthday, kid. Love, Lucy. End quote. Class oh. act, man. Class act. Now, ah. um, so I'm wrapping up here. So, of course, she, she received a ton of awards, you know, including yeah, like all of them. Uh, stars. <laughs> On the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, in 1976, CBS paid tribute to her with special CBS Salutes Lucy. The first 25 years, on December 7th, 1986, she received recognition as a Kennedy Center Honors recipient. Uh, the portion of the Honors event focused on her um, particularly poignant 
um, as Desi Arnaz, who was scheduled to introduce her at the event, had passed away from cancer just five days earlier. So, yeah, after her death, she also received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President George H.W. Bush um, on uh, July 6, 1989, and the Women's International Center's Living Legacy Awards. Um, the Lucille Ball Desi Arnaz Museum and Center for Comedy is in her hometown of Jamestown, New York. The Little I would Theater, like to go to there. I know. Um, right. She's also one of the things she was named Times Magazine's 100 Most Important People of the Century. Um, on In 1990, Universal Studios Florida opened a walkthrough attraction dedicated to her, Lucy, a tribute, which featured clips of the show as well as various trivia about her along with items owned by her and associated with her. Uh, but cool. unfortunately, it was closed in 2000. Uh, I think it was closed in 2002. Um, and But then in 2001, on August 6th, which would have been her 90th birthday, the the U.S. Postal Service honored her with a commemorative postage stamp stamp as part of its Legends of Hollywood series. Um, Of course, there's tons of places named after her, ton of magazine covers she did. She Whatever you can think of, she probably was awarded it or she did it. She is Lucille Ball, y'all. She's an American and comedic treasure, and I just adore her. So I thought it'd be fun to do Lucy. Okay, uh, last time. I'm not doing it anymore. Can <laughs> Lucy, I tell you, those you got greatest... explaining to do. Okay, so you 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 <laughs> I, did it again. Okay. I love it when Ricky would do that. Ricky, Rick, I love when Ricky would do that. Lucy, you got some explaining to do. You got some explaining to do. Yeah, I feel like I you it. and I should stop doing that. Okay, um, we're gonna stop doing it. Greatest... We need no disrespect. <laughs> like so much love um the greatest yeah. compliment i ever received in in theater school is doing the musical theater thing and i don't remember what it was but i was making some faces i guess and my uh-huh. teacher was like you and lucille ball are very like so she can she connected to what i did to lucille ball and like this was like 25 years ago but like for, i'm like i'm complete i'm i did it I know, I don't right? Need to do anything else ever again? I I oh was like gosh. blown away. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. so great. Yeah, no, I'm a oh, fun. comedic genius. That's what I'm not. But one little uh, fun fact to show you how how vicious uh, show business could be. So you know Ethel, her best friend on the Lucy Show. Yes, um, yes. In between when they would take breaks, she famous like they were really good friends offset as well. But she said in between breaks, you know, she was always puller on the show they both were and lucy would tell her oh it's time to pack back on those pounds before we get in front of the camera because she didn't want ethel to be skinnier than her <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i mean that's a show thing like <laughs> that is yeah i want to be ethel i want to be I know, I know right i'm like ethel i'll take your job cake girl that means i can now. eat cake <laughs> i know it's for my profession yeah. I'm literally working I mean, right to, now. <laughs> well, that goes to show you that she wasn't perfect or whatever, but, like, that's show business yeah. for you. But I, I take that job, and I'm sure uh, Ethel was like, okay, uh, it's time to pack on the pounds because, hey, that's bringing in that check. So, you know. <laughs> but I thought that was a fun kind of so funny. Uh, little side note. So who's your notorious woman this week? So my notorious woman. Oh, wait, hold on. Yeah, no, go away. Did you lose it? 
I did, but I found it again. Um, she is okay. She, did you watch the show Mrs. America? I haven't seen it yet. Okay, with Kate Blanchett, right? I watched the first. It's look, it's brilliant. I saw the first episode. It's brilliant. I don't know that I can sit through the whole thing, even though it's brilliant. Um, How is Kate's accent? Is, Her American accent is not that great. It's, Here's why, and I adore her. Okay, it's it's such a um, a colloquial moment, like they're okay. they're outside of Illinois, that she got mm-hmm. that particular accent. So I am not offended by it because I can. It's I wouldn't speak that way, anyways. But I, I did okay. have a moment as I'm watching it. I'm like, oh yeah, she's not American. So there's that. Yeah, her and I adore Kate Blanchett. She's yeah. actually one of my favorite no, actresses. She, but like, sometimes I see I her American playing American. I'm like, mm, accent is. But she's so <laughs> good that it. Tries. Yeah, she's so great. Do you know what I, I mean? Love her. Like, it's like ah, whatever, you know. Um, and Uzo's playing um Shirley Chisholm. Who yes, Uzo. Shirley Chisholm. Oh my god! Yeah. So I watched yeah. it and I was like, okay, all these women I could talk about. Um. But they were almost all too too famous. And then I was mm-hmm. uh, reading the news. This is going to be very short, by the way. But so I, I will give away that she, this woman, has recently passed. So if you are connected with her in any way, um, I send my my condolences. Um, but I was fascinated by the idea of a of a Republican woman in this era of being in to stop feminism in its tracks as a woman. Okay. That's just right. interesting to me. Um, and there are some arguments that, that are incorrect in my very humble opinion. It's not humble. It's just an opinion. Um, <laughs> but I see where some people are coming from. However, I have a very solid argument against them. But no one was asking me where that. So this woman is named Jane D. Hull. Hull. H U L L. Hull. B. Paul. Hull. Okay. D. D. As in door. Um, okay. She was born August eighth, nineteen thirty-five. Uh, her. She was born Jane D. Bowersock, uh, in Kansas City, Missouri. Her mother was Mildred Swenson and Justin Bowersock. Um, he was an editor of the Kansas City Star newspaper. So I don't know anything about her childhood. She had a childhood. I think it was fine. No idea. Okay. She taught elementary school in Kansas while her husband was a public health physician. She moved to Arizona in 1962. Uh, she first moved to the Navajo Nation and then later to Phoenix. She heard a very oh. Goldwater speech and then campaigned for him in the United States presidential election in 1964. So this is around the time of where that show is, if anyone else is watching. Um, mm, okay. So they ended up, he was um, an, uh, an obstetrician, um, and they had four children. Um, I don't know much about that. So this was in 1964, and then she entered politics in 1978, and my guess is that she wanted to, stay home and raise her babies a little bit because that's a pretty mm-hmm. big leap. Yeah, she got elected yeah. to the 
Arizona House of Representatives as a Republican, um, and she served seven terms, including two as Speaker of the House, and was the first female speaker in Arizona history. In 1991, oh. while she was Speaker, the Arizona legislator, legislature experienced a major political scandal called it's AZ scam, as scam, but I think Arizona scam. Uh, which okay. resulted of the resignation or removal of 10 members of the House and Senate. Now, I looked this up, and there's a couple of options as to what it is, and I just didn't think we needed to go too far into it. But it seems to me that it essentially was a sting operation that caught lawmakers taking cash bribes on camera from phony casino operators pitching to legalize gambling in the state. And from what I could tell, okay. it was bipartisan. They're all assholes, really. Um, well, yeah, that is true. So, as a, this is true. as a result, she was speaker at the time, right? So she instituted a number of ethics reforms to reestablish, reestablish public confidence in the legislature. Um, okay. They consider her, so there's a, a non-profit and non-partisan organization um, which records politician stances on issues called on the issues. And they consider her to have been a centrist or moderate Republican. Her record is considered okay. to be fiscally conservative and socially moderate. I just, I like her because she, they did some shit and, and she was like, right, that needs to stop. She called them out on it? And yeah. it, she called them out on it. She actually had, she actually because, had convictions. And she believed she what had she believed, conviction. like really believed it? <laughs> right? Like actually had feelings and such, and, and they they weren't, it wasn't like towing the party line. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Can we read between the obvious line? Right. So she was, and she was elected Arizona Secretary of State in 1994. So not only did was she like that, she was, re, she was elected to other things. People liked her. Uh, oh, so well, that's what happens Spice? when you're a person of your word, <laughs> and people are like, "Oh, if she says she's going to do right. something, she'll do it." I just feel like right now in politics, if you don't do exactly what that everyone thinks everything's going to explode, if yeah. you don't do exactly what, but I'll just say your asshole president is doing, then <laughs> then you're out. It's just not how it has to be. It doesn't have to be right. that way. Um, right. So, well, this this piece of information is a little unfortunate for them, though. Uh, Governor Fife Symington, let's just pause on that name for a moment. Fife, F-I-F-E. Fife Symington. Fife That's a statement. Um, he was forced <laughs> to resign due to a felony conviction. Uh, she became governor on September 5th, 1997. She was sworn in by oh, wow. Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Remember her? Love her. Mm -hmm. um, she, and who was also a former Arizona legislator. Now, Arizona has no lieutenant governor, so the Secretary of State, if holding office by election, is first in line of succession. But then, okay. she was elected governor in her own right in 1998. Um, it was particularly significant the election was because it was the first time in the history of the United States 
that all five of the top elected executive officials in one state were held by women. So it was Hull, it was her, Betsy Bayless was Secretary of State, Janet Napolitano, Napolitano, I think I said that right, was Attorney General, uh-huh. Carol Springer was Treasurer, and Lisa Graham Keegan was the Superintendent of Public Instruction. Wow. Yes, girl. Get it. So while she was wow. governor, her relations with home state U.S. Senator John McCain was strained. So during the 2000 oh. presidential primary season, she endorsed his opponent, Texas Governor George W. Bush, in the Arizona primary. I mean, we all know how that turned out. Fine. Right. Moving on. Um, she's known for having signed into law the bill that resulted in the alt fuels scandal of 2000. So the resulting law promised car buyers up to 60% off new vehicles if they were converted to run on alternative fuels like propane or natural gas. Yet it did not properly cap the number of buyers eligible for the program, nor did it require buyers to use the new fuels. So instead of the $10 million program, um, it became the $200 million program before the lawmakers changed the rules. So that, to me, is a mistake your typical Democrat will make. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, but me, she was just sort of, she was moderate, and she wanted the world to be better. And so she did what she could to do it. Now, I don't know all of her policies. I, hashtag not historians, if you know more of, like, all the terrible things that she did or all the exceedingly wonderful things that they, that should have talked about but they didn't, Please email us and let me know. But I just, I, let's talk about this for a moment. Um, so she was constantly barred from running. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it sounds like she, she, this is what we think politicians are supposed to be ideally, right? Like, so they have these beliefs. So they want to serve the public, you know, and they want to, they want to craft the society towards their beliefs, right? Like if they're conservative, yeah. But it sounds like, but she also is the type of person, like a reasonable person who actually could work across the aisle, who's like, you know I what, mean, even though you're not in my party, that sounds like a good idea, so let's let's work on that together. Exactly. Like, when I first registered, and I was young and I was dumb, I registered as an independent, mostly because I didn't understand the rules. Um, like, when I did, I switched to Democrat. But, like, I remember being like, well, it, depend- it, it depends. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, at the time when I was making this choice, it sometimes did depend. Where yeah. now I don't feel like it depends at all. It was very clear. She is a moderate. Um, she's a moderate. I would agree with that. She's a moderate. We don't have moderates anymore. We, no. Well, know, they're not like, allowed to survive. They're not allowed to survive. We definitely huge. do. I know people. I have, like, look, I'm not a moderate. I'm a raving liberal, and I'm fine with that. Um, but that's who I am. But I have plenty of friends who aren't. They're more moderate. And that's fine. As long as your social justice is, you know, close to where we're at, which I feel is just I'm a moderate black woman. Let's put it that way. Okay. I'm a black woman. <laughs> is that? I think it's not um, the same as a raving liberal white woman. I'm not sure. No. Not necessarily like, I just call for common damn sense and decency. Common damn But I, that's my point. I think that that's yep. what... What I used to think of, like, again, I was an independent because I felt like let's just be let's just be smart about things. Let's just help humanity where it needs help and and support society where it needs the support and, and you know, 
But I just now I'm just raving liberal. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, because I think so so much has happened in the last couple of years that you're just like, oh, no, this is no, 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 no. Oh. So it's pushing you farther to the uh, left. I I mean, I am probably more liberal than you would think by talking to me because I just want common damn sense. Most people just don't have no common damn sense. And I'm just like, and decency and compassion. Yeah. Most yeah. people just don't have any common damn sense. Like, I'm not opposed to working with you if you make sense and you, you actually listen to scientists totally. in the environment. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm not a bleeding right. heart liberal, but a lot of times they're like, you're a bleeding heart liberal. I'm like, no, sometimes people need help. Sometimes people need help. Sometimes I just, I don't, children. yeah, I don't even know that I'm really a bleeding heart liberal because sometimes I'm like, eh, you know, yeah, the elevator is leaving. I'm not holding the door for you. You know, like, no. I'm Don't get me wrong. Audition. I could be a, a hard-hearted <laughs> bitch, okay? And people be like, you are mm-hmm. so mean. But I'm just like, 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 I don't want to be the wicked witch of the West, <laughs> like trying to steal a little girl and her dog, too. I'm not that person. Right. But you know, you know what I'm saying? I but mean, it's funny, like, yeah. when I'm home with my children and I, you know, different parenting stuff, I'm not liberal at all. Get <laughs> her done. You know what I mean? Like, no, you need an education whether you like it or not. You know, like yeah, you can I like. I'm not like, oh, I'm um, Shanti. Just like feel things. I know. I'm like, you'll feel things in a minute. You're almost done. Get it done. What you is know? your uh, What does your third chakra say to you? What is your third? Uh, no, I'm not. Yeah, so I don't give a fuck what your third chakra says to you. You can figure that out on your but own. But it just sounds like. She's a reasonable woman. She's the kind of woman, yeah. kind of politician that she I, could actually work with back then. I feel like I would get along with her. Like, her biggest yeah. failure was trying to help the Earth and the humans in the Earth. Like, mm. that's, that's, hmm. that's cool. All right, so, wait, okay. I'm almost done. Um, so she was constitutionally barred from running for a second full term in 2002, because the Arizona, Arizona Constitution limits the governor to two consecutive terms or parts of terms um, so that she had had, like, a term and a half. Not even a whole oh, half, okay. but that was all she could do. She was succeeded by Janet Napolitano, uh, who defeated Matt Salmon. Uh, after leaving office, she spent three months in New York City as a public delegate from the United States to the United Nations General Assembly. After the death of Rose Mofford on September 15, 2016, she became the oldest living governor of Arizona, in addition to being the oldest living secretary of state of Arizona. There is an elementary school named for her in Chandler, Arizona. Oh. And uh, she was married to Terry Hall, who was, I said, an obstetrician. Um, she died on April 16th. 2020, which was three days ago, at the age of 84, along with her husband on the same day. They died together. Oh. See, she's the kind of person that I think people on the right think that they are, but I don't think they are. Yeah. And again, I, maybe it could be because they're not allowed to be that way anymore, like be a moderate reasonable person i think that's what most of most people who are on the right and still voting for the right want to be there are outliers who are crazy and they are nazis and they are bad but i think that 
I like to think at least that the majority of people aren't really like that when they just want to calm down. I think you need because if you if you if you're complicit, right? Yeah, so no, it sounds like she yeah. wouldn't have been complicit. It sounds like she would have been like, uh, this is a bull. Uh, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Whereas now I feel like they just sort of go along, keep their head down and be like, oh, well, you know, go along, get along. And it's like, like no, and I admire that, her I for being. I, I hope so. I, I mean, she, the but climate would like, is different now, so maybe, but I admire her for being like, for being like, no, this is some bull. No, you guys are crooks. Like, oh, I don't care what party you're from. You're a crook. Yeah. Like, yeah. I admire you people see? like that. Yeah. I do, too. You know? I do, too. I love you. Great. Now, say her name um, one more time. Jane D. Hull. H-U-L-L. Jane D. Hull. D. That is great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I like her. We had, we, this is a fun episode, right? I think so. Yeah, totally. It was fun. Hopefully, listeners, it gives you a little time to sort of get out of your head and, like, maybe listen to us while you, I don't know, playing Candy Crush or, I don't know, cleaning that thing that you've been meaning to clean. Drinking. Because you're drinking. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, mama like. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, guys, that wraps it up for another episode of Notorious Women Podcast. Guys, uh, since you have the time, remember to follow yep. us on all the things. If you have not subscribed or clicked follow, please do so on Twitter and Facebook at Notorious WM Pod, on Instagram at Notorious Women Podcast. And I'm going to have more stuff very shortly, I promise, on Patreon. Uh, you're going to get flooded with a whole bunch of stuff, extra content uh, very soon. So if you want to become a patron and help support our show, um you can do that uh for as little as a dollar a month you can do two dollars five dollars ten dollars or you can give us a one-time donation in any amount that you see fit um eighty three thousand dollars is acceptable if you want i mean to. i'm not greedy i'll take five thousand i'll take five hundred hey okay we'll I pay mean, for really hosting yeah for a year that'd be great um Ooh, yeah. but if not, then just keep listening and downloading and sharing it with us, and, and we appreciate you all. We really do, and we are sending you lots of positive energy and lots of prayers for you and your loved ones to stay safe um, and sane and lots of love, and we will see you next week. Yes. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.